Welcome to the Strong Mamas Podcast, where we're talking about our fitness and food choices as moms in real life and in light of our faith as Christ followers. I'm your host, Megan Dahlman, and together we'll be exploring what it means to be a healthy, strong mama in the middle of a culture that's obsessed with vanity. This podcast is all about helping and equipping you to take better care of yourself and the ones you love. Hey guys, welcome back to the show this week. I'm excited to be back with my co-host, Scott, and we have a really fun show lined up for you today. But first, I want to stop and remind you to subscribe to the show if you haven't already. I was actually just talking to a friend the other day, and she was telling me that subscribing to the show was actually really helpful for her because otherwise she forgot to check back in for new episodes. And I know that that happens to a lot of us. We just get busy with life and kind of forget to look to see if something new has been released. So if you are a subscriber, it lets you know when a new episode has been released so you never miss an episode. So if you haven't done so, make sure you go back to the page where you can subscribe. So we're going to have a ton of fun on this episode today because we're talking all about myths. Myths. <laughs> Let's call this Mythbusters, the fitness edition, because I can tell a nutrition edition of Mythbusters will be coming soon too. And sometimes I feel like an entire podcast show, not just episodes, could probably be dedicated to busting fitness and nutrition myths. There are literally millions of opinions and ideas out there on how to get healthy and fit, and I'd say more than half of those are probably wrong. (laughs) Yeah, when we were talking about doing this show and we talked about what myths we should take on, the list became endless very, very quickly. It was hard just to pare it down to the ones we're going to do today. Yeah, it, it. we had to really be strategic with our editing because we could have gone on and on and on because there are so many myths out there. So this might turn into a couple episodes, but we'll have to see. I think today we're going to cover the big ones and mostly fitness today. So Why is that? Why are there so many myths out there or so much false information in this industry? It's kind of crazy. And I think unlike a lot of fields of study that are out there, with this particular industry, anybody can dabble in it. Anybody can get interested in fitness. Anybody can get interested in nutrition, which is great in one sense because we have a large portion of the population that likes fitness and training and eating healthy. Awesome. That's good. A lot of people are prioritizing their health and doing what seems to be working for them, which is awesome. But they begin to assume that if it works for them, it must work across the board for everyone. And I think another thing you see is that when something works for somebody, it works, but they think it's the wrong reason. And so they transpose the reason that this is working is the reason it should work for everybody else or using false logic that leads you to a lot of different things that are simply not true because one thing was. Exactly. So unfortunately, we end up with a lot of non-professionals offering advice and instruction in an area that they really don't know much about other than their own experience. 
And I think what makes this so much worse is with social media now. Yeah. People used to have those conversations with their friends, but they were fewer and far between. Now you can post one thing, make a meme out of it, and it gets transposed across the entire internet in a day. And now everybody's believing something that really isn't true. Yeah, I know. I think just scrolling through Pinterest is probably a really good example of the amount of not good information out there. We end up seeing, or I see so many workout videos, exercise mashups that are just plain junk. <laughs> in even the trainer demonstrates, or the trainer in air quotes, <laughs> demonstrating the moves is unknowingly neglecting proper technique and good muscle balance. So I think we have to understand that fitness and health, human performance and nutrition, these are sciences, but you don't, the problem is that we don't necessarily need to have any background or education in science to become a professional in this field, which is, which is a little bit scary. Any other scientific field, you need to have a good amount of background in science to be considered a professional in it. But in this field in particular, you can become a fitness professional or a personal trainer with very minimal schooling. And sometimes it's just a weekend workshop. And I think you get a lot of people who go, hey, I like to work out. Why don't I become a trainer? So they go yeah. do a weekend workshop and they've done workouts that work for them, but they don't really understand why and can't really help other people with that. Yeah. And you guys, I'm not dogging the weekend workshop certification setup because it's okay if you have a particular trainer that that was their they have a passion for fitness and that was their in. Maybe it's a second career for them, but they are in it for more than that. And once they are a certified professional, they dig into it even more and they learn more. Constant continuing education. They dig into the science behind it and and they try to really go well beyond that small set of instruction that they received with their certification. And that's really, really great. But unfortunately, there are a lot of professionals that don't do that. They just show up, they check the boxes, and are now certified to train anybody, which can be a little scary. So that's kind of what we're going to try to tackle today is the big myths that are out there in the fitness industry that are either being perpetuated by your friends or unknowingly perpetuated by trainers that, that might not know any better. Or maybe things that you believe. You might find yourself a couple yeah. times not feeling great about some of the things we're taking on today. But just know that we've looked at these and are really taking Megan's scientific perspective at it. Okay, so what's myth number one? The first myth, and this is always one of my favorites, that you can spot train or choose specific exercises to target trouble spots. I love the meme that's got the picture with the little red circle of what you're going to be fixing by doing a particular exercise. Oh my goodness. And I, I'm sitting over here rolling my eyes because it's so true. There are entire fitness programs that are written based on what are the exercises that target the love handles or target the underbutt area. Like what are what are we doing here folks? Okay, so here's what we need to understand. You can spot strengthen, but you cannot spot reduce. Okay? And what I mean by that is that you can pick an exercise to improve the specific strength of that weak muscle. And we do this all the time with physical therapy and with improving the function of maybe a muscle group that is not 
functioning the way it was designed to or it's deactivated. We do that all the time. We can fire up a particular muscle. For example, I do this a lot when I'm training someone that looks like they have weak hips and having weak gluteus medius is affecting their knee function. It's affecting the pain in their hips and their back even. And so we do some very targeted strengthening exercises to build up the function and the strength of their glutes. But you have to understand that you cannot reduce the amount of body fat storage in a very specific spot. That is very different. If you have love handles, for example, that are driving you nuts, there's no amount of love handle exercises that will get rid of the fat in that particular spot. What it might do is build up the strength of the muscle fibers that are underlying your body fat storage, but by doing a particular exercise for that section of your body is not going to do anything for the body fat storage that's lying on top of those muscles, okay? And unfortunately, doing a ton of exercises in one area, hoping that that area will reduce, usually ends up leading to muscle imbalance, sadly. So if you do a bunch of work in one section, you could be pulling your body out of balance is what that means. Okay, so myth number one, tackled. (laughs) We know that you cannot spot reduce. You can't spot train a certain section, but you can spot strengthen. I'm disappointed. I did all those side bends for my love handles. Oh my gosh, side bends, guys. We'll get to that a little bit later, but yeah, don't be doing side bends. So the second myth, and I think this is one that many, many of us buy into, even subconsciously, doing more cardio is the best solution for losing weight. Yep, this is a big one too. So I'll tell you a little story. I was on a coaching call with a mom not that long ago, and we were talking about strategies to improve her progress. She was already feeling pretty strong and healthy and could tell that she was functioning so much better overall, but she was genuinely struggling with losing body fat, which is a typical problem that some of us struggle with, and it was getting really frustrating for her, and yeah, it's totally frustrating. So we were coming up with exercise strategies to kind of manipulate her overall progress. And she said to me, I was afraid you were going to tell me I had to start running. (laughs) And I think that's sometimes what we're afraid of, that the only solution to losing weight or losing these extra body fat storage is to do more cardio. I think that's because running or cardio in general seems to be everybody's go-to answer when we want to lose body fat. And I know you have guy friends that think this too. Like, oh, you do the weightlifting and that's going to build the muscles. But if you want to lose fat, you need to do the cardio. Yeah. And I'll be completely honest and transparent here. This is something that I fall into sometimes. Even though I know from you that it's not true, I still find myself sometimes going, man, I'd like to lose a little bit more weight. I need to start putting some cardio within my workouts. Yeah. Let's back the boat up a little bit. Okay, in order for anybody to experience weight loss, the kind of weight loss that is body fat weight loss, there needs to be some form of energy imbalance, okay? Which is basically a difference between the amount of energy that your body expends in a day and the amount of energy that your body consumes in a day. So there has to be a little bit of negative energy imbalance. And we have to look at the way we go about creating that imbalance. Is cardio the most effective means of doing this? 
And the answer is no. In fact, it's actually the least effective means of creating this type of imbalance. Traditional cardio, when we compare it to other forms of training like weightlifting, it actually expends far less energy over the course of the day. And we have to look at the entire day and the overall impact that your training has on your body. We can't just look at how many calories a particular type of exercise burns in one setting. We have to look at the overall long-term effects on the entire body. So you mean when I look on the elliptical machine and it tells me how many calories I burned, that's not meaningful? No, and honestly, it's not specific to you anyway. If you do way more, it actually is going to take you more calories to do the same amount of effort. So it, it, those, those types of calorie readouts are really not helpful. It actually ends up making you more fixated on calories than anything rather than on the quality of your work. So the most effective, and this might be surprising for you guys, some of you, the most effective method of losing body fat is strength training. And it's the type of strength training that uses heavy loads and affects very large muscle groups. And the reason for that is that weightlifting or strength training like this applies such a large demand on the muscles of your body and honestly your entire system. If you do a good strength training workout, Usually you're also getting a cardiovascular workout too. Your heart rate is up, your breathing rate is up, and that honestly is true cardiovascular work. It doesn't have to be just steady state to be cardio. So you're getting that also, but the demand on your muscles is so large that your metabolism essentially has to go into overdrive while you're doing it. And it has to expend a lot of energy to make those particular movements happen, but then it keeps expending energy to heal the muscle tissues to repair them and grow them kind of all day long. So someone that did a really hard and heavy metabolically demanding strength training workout is going to expend more energy over the course of an entire day versus someone who just did cardio for an hour. So the overall impact on all the body's metabolic processes is much greater with a workout that's heavy and hot and making you breathe really hard and pushing your muscles to the edge. And it requires far more effort than simply doing cardio. But I think that there's a question that a lot of people have around it is like, why does cardio work sometimes though? Because it does sometimes, right? Sometimes someone will be like, well, I need to start working out. And so they start running or they start just going and doing the stair stepper for an hour or doing the elliptical, why does it still work sometimes? Well, it's because if you're not working out and you do start working out, it is going to have an effect. It's not that cardio is bad for you. It's just not the most effective way. Exactly. It's not the most effective means. And unfortunately, your body actually adapts to cardio very, very quickly. So it works well in the very beginning, but pretty soon your body adapts to it because it's just not overall the most demanding thing for your body to do, so it gets really efficient at it. The other thing is for someone who's training really hard and heavy frequently and their body cannot do much more of that type of training, there's only so much weightlifting you can do over the course of the week. So if they're trying to break through a plateau, sometimes adding in a little extra cardio can kind of be the icing on the cake or kind of like the sprinkles on the top, the, the one more thing that kind of helps them break through the plateau. It's not the most important thing, but it can sometimes be helpful in that means. 
But I, I know that I say that when weightlifting is the most important thing to do in order to lose body fat, I know that a lot of women freak out a little because of the very next myth, which we're going to tackle. So myth number three, lifting weights and strength training will make you bulky and super muscular. I wish. <laughs> okay. The short answer for this one is no, <laughs> it won't make you bulky. Okay. But at the same time, it will build your muscle mass. All right. And then the way bodies respond to weightlifting, we have to understand, is very different from person to person. What? Oh, I'm just shaking my head at my wife now who has incredible biceps and I can do a million bicep curls and not get half the size of your arms. Yeah. So, okay. So let's figure out why that is. So basically, you need to understand that muscle mass is the amount of muscular tissue or muscle fibers that you have on your body at any given time. And there are different types of skeletal muscle fibers. There's, and you've probably heard of this, there's type 1, there's type 2A, there's type 2B, and there's more. You might not have heard of that, but I bet you've heard of fast twitch and slow twitch muscle fibers, right? Definitely. Yeah, everybody's kind of heard of that. These are the different types. So they they vary in size, they vary in power, they vary in endurance capacity. And I'm sure you've heard of fast twitch muscle fibers. These are the ones that are type 2A and type 2B. And then these are the ones that are more powerful and tend to be a little larger in size than slow twitch muscle fibers, which are type 1. Okay. So people who are really good at endurance sports, like marathoning or triathlon, or they go out and they can run just for miles and miles without a problem, they are likely to have a larger percentage of those slow twitch muscle fibers, which also happen to be smaller in size and made for the long haul. And then someone else who's more adept to doing powerful sports, sprinting, weightlifting, they might have a larger percentage of those fast twitch muscle fibers, which have a tendency to be larger in diameter. But everybody has both slow and fast twitch muscle fibers. You can't have just one or the other. We all kind of have a different percentage of each amount. Okay, so the amount and type of this muscle tissue you carry is determined by your genetics, mostly. Your genetics play the largest role, and that's why we all look different, of course. That's why you and I look very different, Scott. (laughs) For example, like you said, I have very large deltoids and biceps whether I work out or not. They never really go away. I can lean up a little bit by getting rid of some of the overlying fat, which makes them look more toned but I'll never have slender arms. And everyone in my family looks like this too. My genetics have determined that I have probably more fast twitch muscle fibers in my arms at least, and honestly in my quads and glutes too, (laughs) which are just bigger muscle fibers. And then I know for you, you're kind of on the flip side. You have more slender arms, you're built more like a distance runner, and you sometimes have a harder time carrying any muscular bulk on them. Do you want to say anything about that? No, it's just sad. (laughs) So it's just sad because (laughs) it's not following like the social norms, I guess, of our society. And we, we put these norms on what a woman should look like and what a man should look like. And it's just, we, we can't play that game. I'll just never be able to fill the sleeve. It's a little disappointing. (laughs) 
So you probably, if we were to dissect your muscle tissues, you probably just have a larger percentage of those slow twitch muscle fibers, which their capacity for growth is not the same as fast twitch muscle fibers. The other thing that comes into play is that your gen genetics also determines how much of the hormone testosterone you have in your body. So increased testosterone enhances muscle growth. So some women have a little bit more testosterone than other women, and so their capacity for growing larger muscle fibers is greater than other women. What's important to note that for women in general, we simply do not have enough natural testosterone to grow large muscles, regardless of our genetic makeup. Our muscles will always have kind of a size limit because of a lack of testosterone. So yeah, I know that I have biceps and deltoids that seem large for my frame, but your muscles on your body still weigh a lot more than mine. They are still larger in diameter than mine. They just look different than mine. So you're saying there's a chance that I'm strong? <laughs> you're stronger than I am. <laughs> <laughs> Because of your testosterone as a man, and women just don't have that capacity. So I guess the takeaway here, you guys, is that if you're afraid of getting bulky or building extremely large muscles from weightlifting, just don't be afraid of that anymore. You might grow in muscle mass, and that's great, and that's wonderful because your metabolism will be higher, but you just probably don't have the capacity to bulk up like you think you might. All right, well, this one is very similar to the last myth, but myth number four, if you want to be lean and toned, you need to do light weights with high reps versus doing heavy weights with low reps. I was explaining this one to Scott and he kind of like, he didn't really have any idea what I was talking about because this is such a girl fitness thing. It's a fitness myth within the girl, like within women's fitness is this idea of high reps versus low reps, the heavyweight versus low weight thing. And it's the same idea of being afraid of bulking up. Yeah, somewhere along the line, science got separated from practice and we ended up with countless women pumping tiny pink weights for 30 or more reps, afraid that they were going to bulk up. It's and... so great. As soon as you say that, it makes me think of the aerobics classes with the leotards oh and the gosh. high socks and the sweatband and the little tiny weights stepping up on the little steps. Yeah, these tiny weights that probably weigh way less than their purse, let alone the child, the 35-pound child that they're hefting around all day. It's like, what is that going to do? And then I think more recently... You know, we're not doing leotards anymore, but we see women flocking to yoga and bar classes thinking that it's going to help them look like a dancer and avoid the bulky appearance. And I have to do a caveat. I don't I don't necessarily have anything against yoga, okay? Because I, you and I both practice yoga on a regular basis, but not for this reason of avoiding the weightlifting so that we don't get bulky, okay? The part, the, there is a part here that is actually true. These women never do actually get bulky in these classes or with the light weights and the high reps because nothing is really happening <laughs> to their muscles. They're probably not getting any leaner either and they're not getting any stronger. It's probably doing nothing to their body other than making them break a little bit of a sweat. So without any true resistance, muscles just won't change at all. 
Okay. And it's hard to even get stronger without training with some amount of resistance. So here's the truth. If you never apply any resistance to your muscles, they'll simply never grow or even worse, they're going to actually atrophy. (laughs) And that's a big problem. So most women I know want to look lean and toned. And that's in air quotes, (laughs) lean and toned. And what they're really just saying is they want to see their muscles, but not be ripping through their shirts, (laughs) filling the (laughs) sleeves. (laughs) I don't know any woman that's like, can you help me fill the sleeves? I want to fill the sleeves. Fill the sleeves. (laughs) So this goes back to the last myth. They just don't want to feel big or bulky, but they want to feel slender and strong. So how do you achieve this? And the number one factor is what your eating habits look like. Okay. I know. Somehow I was going to put nutrition in here. And even though we were talking about fitness, it's going to come in because you can't separate them. So the difference between being lean and toned and then big and bulky is how much body fat you actually carry. And then your genetics, of course, like we talked about earlier. Eating well will encourage your fat stores to dwindle and your muscular tissue to become more visible. So if this is the appearance that you're trying to go for, then you need to really pay attention to how you're eating, okay? The second factor with getting that lean and toned appearance is to challenge your muscles with strength training. Strength training or resistance training, like I said before, it will cause your muscle fibers to grow by breaking them down a little bit so that they have to repair. And in that repairing process, that's how they grow. Growing muscles, I know that sounds scary, but like we talked about before, if you actually want to see your muscles, you have to get them to grow. (laughs) And that gives you that toned appearance that you desire. Yes, you will have more muscle mass, but because you're eating well, you'll have less fat mass as well. And in the end, you will look and feel toned. But guys, this is kind of avoiding the big elephant in the room of you're doing workouts to achieve a very particular look. Body image is still a very, very important factor here. So I feel like I would be, we would be doing a disservice if we scooched over that fact. That why are you working out anyway? This goes back to kind of our motivators, that motivation episode that we did a couple weeks ago. And if you're only working out and choosing workouts based on how you're going to look in the end, there's something wrong, okay? So what is going to get you strong and fit and the healthiest you can be? And whatever your body ends up looking like at the end, so be it, right? (laughs) Let's have a good perspective. All right. In myth number five, if you want good abs... Crunches and sit-ups are the best exercises to do. And who doesn't want good abs? (laughs) Right. We're still having body image issues. (laughs) Okay. So I have to say, one of my favorite strength coaches, his name is Mike Boyle. And one thing that he says all the time is that the abdominal muscles do not act to pull the rib cage down to the pelvis. The abdominal muscles act as stabilizers and anti-rotators. Okay. Let me break that down. If we look at how your abs were meant to function, their primary job is not to do that crunching motion, right? Where it pulls your rib cage down to get closer to where your hip bones are. That's not what they were ever designed to do. They can perform that function, but that's not their primary role. Their primary role, their main job is to brace 
the torso and to resist motion. So think planks or side planks where you're having to lock in tight and hold steady and not move. That's your abdominal muscles primary job to do. Functionally, when we think about how your abs were functionally designed to work, crunches and sit-ups are just a really bad idea. Also, mechanically, what they do to your body, they're a really bad idea too. Your spinal segments, so if we look at your spine, all the vertebrae, and in between all the vertebrae, you've got discs, which are basically like little pillows that cushion your spine. So these spinal segments were not necessarily designed to flex and bend like that over and over again. And I'm gonna pile not just crunches and sit-ups into the mix, but the side bending that we mentioned earlier. They're not meant to do that flexing and bending over and over again. One sit-up or one crunch or side bend here and there isn't a really big deal, but if these are your go-to ab exercises, your vertebral discs are getting a beating. And I know there are a lot of people that every time they go to the gym, every time they work out, they spend the last 10 minutes of their workout doing crunches or sit-ups or V-ups or oblique crunches or bicycles or any version of that movement they can. And years and years of that is going to have an effect. And I think it's important to note that this all comes back to the myth we had earlier about spot training. That's the idea most people, the reason most people are doing sit-ups or V-ups or these different things is because those are the exercises you see online that are going to help you target that flat toned stomach. Right. And what have we learned? That you can spot strengthen. So if the strength that you want is to be able to move your rib cage towards your pelvis, is that if that's what you need to do for your sport, which I'm trying to think of what sports (laughs) that might be helpful for, maybe wrestling, maybe sometimes like jujitsu, sometimes some movements in yoga where you have to do like this tight ball of a crunch. Are we calling yoga a sport now? Yeah. I would call it a sport. (laughs) So there's some sports that require that flexion motion, but very few of them. So functionally, we just don't need that type of strength. And if what we're trying to do is spot reduce the amount of fat on our midsection, we now know that we can't do that anyway. It really comes down to how we eat and the overall amount of energy that we're putting out in general. The other thing I need to make a note of here is that for postpartum women, okay, so we're going to take a sidestep and talk about diastasis recti for a second. So diastasis recti is basically where you have an abdominal separation or there's a bit of a gap between the two sides of your rectus abdominis muscle, that main ab muscle. When your body is healing postpartum, The worst thing for those muscles when they are healing is really, really direct abdominal work. So it's just too much work for those muscles to undergo, and it can actually encourage them to not heal. So if your goal is to bring those two sections of your abdominals closer together and reduce that gap, doing abs like that, doing sit-ups and crunches, could potentially be the worst thing that you could do for that. The best type of abdominal exercises for you if you're working on healing that diastasis is very indirect core work where your abs are having to brace gently the way they were function the way they were designed to function but it's not firing up those abs like crazy. All that to say crunches and sit-ups for everybody in general is not the best idea 
especially for moms that are healing their abdominals postpartum, it is a really bad idea. If you want good abs, (laughs) if that's your goal, You need to do sound functional core work and combine those exercises with really good eating habits, okay? And if you follow me on Instagram, on social media at all, you will probably see that occasionally I do post good core exercises that focus on the bracing, that anti-rotation, the good balance between the front, the back, the sides, and and all the ways that your ab muscles were actually designed to function. So make sure that who you are following and the influences that you're getting is giving you good sound advice, especially in the core department. And if you want to feel the burn in the core, I'll tell you, doing a plank for a minute and a half will kill you a lot more than 30 (laughs) sit-ups. Yeah, especially doing it really, really well. Okay, what's our final myth here? All right, our final myth of the day. Doing more is always better. This idea of working out seven days a week is better than working out five days a week. Yeah, a lot of people neglecting their rest and recovery, thinking that that means that it must be that they're lazy. (laughs) So we have this idea that if something is good to do, doing a lot of it is even better, right? Working out one day a week is good, but working out seven days a week would be perfection. Like that would be the ideal if they can do that. Or if training for 30 minutes is really good, then training for 90 minutes would be that much better. And so you have people that over time are just adding and piling on more and more and more work on top of their body, just trying to do more, thinking that that's better. But listen, your body is not a machine, actually. And you'll see those memes all the time. Your body is a machine or make it your machine. Guys, it's not a machine. (laughs) It can break. And if you don't treat it properly, it will break. And you're going to have an injury that sidelines you for a really long time. So you have to do things properly. Without proper progression, building up gradually into doing a little bit more at a time, something usually does break. Something gives. Okay? That's usually how we end up with soft tissue injuries like shin splints or plantar fasciitis or like hip issues or shoulder issues. It's usually from doing too much too quick. And there's a lot of programs out there that actually do this to you. I'm thinking of programs like P90X or the 80 Day Obsession where it's just you go, you could be someone who's a complete couch potato And you pick up that workout program and you go from zero workouts a week to six or seven workouts a week in one week. And that's really scary. Wow. (laughs) It's just too intense. Your body can't handle it. Like I said, it's not a machine. It can break. Understand that your body will actually perform a lot better when it is properly rested and well recovered. Damage occurs to your body during the training process. That's how it gets better. It actually gets damaged a little bit. Your muscle fibers break down. They tear these little micro tears. And it's during the repairing that that's how it gets stronger. It heals. And if you don't give it the proper time and the proper tools that your muscles need to repair, your next workout is going to feel terrible, right? I don't have a lot to add to this one because I'm really good at resting. <laughs> you, you rest well. That is not a problem I have. <laughs> you are I a don't well. Try, I don't try to work out seven days a week. <laughs> 
So for those that are training really, really hard, like at high level athlete levels, how are they doing this? Like how can someone go about working out six or seven days a week and not be falling apart constantly? They've got a number of things in place. And the first thing is that they've actually gradually built up to this over the years. I know for myself, I can train five or six days a week, no problem, and not have any risk of injury. And there's a couple reasons I can do this is that I balance out my week. I make sure that my heavy lifting days are buffered with much lighter days. I do a lot of active recovery. But also on top of that, when I first started training over a decade ago, probably closer to 20 years ago now, I was not working out every single day. I would do like two or three workouts a week. And so over the years, this has just gotten a little bit more at a time. Also, on top of this, the people that are training so hard and so heavy, their nutrition is spot on. They are making sure that they are fueling their body well so that every single workout, they have the nutrients that their body needs to perform the exercises well, to last, to have the endurance, and then to recover well from that workout. So if you want to train six or seven days a week, your nutrition has to be dialed, dialed in. You can't get away with crappy eating habits and train that much. It's just not going to work very well. The other thing that people have in place that are training a lot is they have a lot of active recovery strategies in place. So they're not going hard all the time. It's not a 100% day backed up with a 100% day with another 100% day. It doesn't work like that. They've got active recovery strategies in place like foam rolling and massage, dynamic mobility, some light days, complete rest days here and there. They're very much prioritizing rest and recovery. And this allows them to train harder and to do more when they are training because their body is well rested and able to do it. And then also these people sleep a lot. (laughs) We're in the middle of watching the Tour de France right now. It's kind of going on right now in July. Something that you'll notice with really, really high level athletes like that, they expend so much effort during their sport and then they have to get up and do it again but when you see what the habits are of these guys they as soon as they get off the bike they eat a ton of food and then they sleep the rest of the time they're sleeping they're foam rolling they're getting massages they're eating that's really all they're doing that is their job (laughs) and honestly high level athletes like this have very little other stress in their lives So that is their only stress that they're dealing with so that their body can handle it well. It is their job. Right. And I think one thing that's come up a lot, you know, I watch probably more than I should professional sports, but one thing you're hearing more and more now is athletes are starting to manage their bodies and their lives better is load management. And even the top NBA guys are finding times during the season to take rest, to take games off. And they're using all these making sure they have a personal chef, making sure they have somebody who can help them do the active recovery, to do the foam rolling, to get massages, to do all these different things that athletes even 20 years ago weren't that interested in. But now it's the thing that all these young guys are doing, even though they are at the top of their game, they are finding ways to manage this, recognizing how important rest and recovery is for them as well. Oh, yeah. Because if you're not resting and recovering, you're always going to be performing less than 100%. You're always going to be 
performing and able to give a percentage of what you're capable of because you're always going to be in a fatigued state. So if you want to show up to your workouts and be able to perform 100% in each workout and get the absolute most from each workout that you show up to, you have to prioritize rest and recovery and all the different strategies. There are a lot of different strategies that we mentioned that go into that. And if you're somebody who feels like you need to do something every day where it's hard for you to take a complete day off, I think it's important to remember there are things you can do. It could be going for a walk instead of going for a run. Right. Or it could be doing yoga instead of doing a strength workout where you're doing something. You're not just sitting around doing nothing for that day, but you're not stressing your body as hard. Exactly. Doing a even just a body weight only strength training workout has a much lower load an impact on your body than doing a heavy weightlifting strength training workout. So you can certainly buffer your workout days in that sense as well. Okay guys, so let's just do like a quick little recap of all the myths that we just busted and and really these were not comprehensive. There's so many more out there. But myth number one was you can spot train or choose specific exercises to target trouble spots. We know now that that does not work. You can spot strengthen, but you cannot what? Spot lose. Spot reduce. Spot reduce. Yeah. (laughs) I got the concept, just not the term. Okay, good. (laughs) What was myth number two? Doing more cardio is the best solution for weight loss. Nope. Now we know that the best solution, the thing that has the most impact on your body is doing good strength training, weightlifting. So no need to spend time on the elliptical reading a magazine. No, ma'am. Or sir. (laughs) Myth number three was that lifting weights and strength training will make you bulky and super muscular. We know now that your own individual muscle fiber makeup has a bigger role and also your testosterone load in your body has a larger role. So don't freak out. Strength training and lifting weights won't make you bulky. And related to that, myth number four was if you want to be lean and toned, you need to do light weights with high reps versus doing heavy weights with low reps. Yep, no, that's not true either. We now know that if all you're doing is really light weights with a lot of reps, you're probably not doing much at all. (laughs) I think a good rule of thumb is if the weights you're using are candy coated with a color, they're probably not heavy enough. Yeah, probably not. Although we do have a kettlebell that's 35 pounds and it's like turquoise. That's true. There's an (laughs) exception to every rule. I'm saying in general. I think a good rule of thumb is if the weights that you're lifting weigh less than your purse, then you're wasting your time. Okay. Myth number five was if you want good abs, crunches and sit-ups are the best exercises to do. Nope. No bending towards your knees. Nope. That's not what your abs were designed to do. And the last one, which is my personal favorite, myth number six was doing more is always better. Let's make sure that we're not neglecting our rest and recovery because that makes sure that your body can perform at its absolute best. So I hope you learned so much today on this episode. Stay tuned for next time because we're going to tackle a bunch of nutrition myths, which will be... I'm excited about that one. (laughs) I'm sure we'll talk about like the cinnamon diet or what was that one diet when we were talking about diet schmiet? There was something that you mentioned. I do remember there was like the champagne and steak diet. Yes, the wine and steak. The wine and steak. Anyway, lots of, lot of nutrition myths. Lots of nutrition myths out there. Probably even more than exercise myths, really. Yeah, there's a lot. We'll get to it. So stay tuned for that. 
Once again, you guys, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't yet, take the time to rate the show and leave a review because that certainly helps the show out so that more people can find it and learn from it too. And thanks so much for joining us today and we'll talk to you next time. 